Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will break down the economic and investment implications of the proposed American Jobs Plan, as well as provide a look at what the proposal contains and the obstacles that the proposal may face. Joining me for the conversation today, glad to welcome back to the podcast Tom McLaughlin, Head of Fixed Income for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So, Tom, good Good morning to you. Great to have you back on and looking forward to our conversation today. Good morning, Dan. I'm looking forward to it as well. Absolutely. So, Tom, as we all know, the Biden administration has recently outlined a robust and costly infrastructure program proposal. So it might be helpful, Tom, as a starting point for our listeners, our clients, if you can level set it for us. Can you begin by outlining the key components of the proposal as well as the attached price tag? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, It's worth a recap. Uh, the proposal uh, from the Biden administration was effectively divided into two parts. This American Jobs Plan is part one. Uh, it basically encompasses $2.65 trillion in total expenditures, uh, $400 billion of which was associated with tax credits. Uh, interestingly enough, beyond its sheer size, I think there are two things that differentiate the president's proposal from infrastructure plans put forth by prior administrations. The focus on climate change uh, certainly is is the one that stands out, uh, and also the unusually broad definition of what constitutes infrastructure. Um, Starting with climate change, um, there's a number of different uh, proposals sprinkled throughout the plan. Uh, Biden has basically proposed $174 billion for electrical vehicle charging stations, uh, rebate subsidies for the purchases of uh, electric vehicles or EVs, and then electrifying the federal vehicle fleet. And, you know, it's interesting because the federal government owns 600,000 vehicles, cars, trucks, buses, et cetera. So that in itself is a pretty big undertaking. And then you've got $85 billion in public transit, $50 billion in, in infrastructure susceptible to storm damage uh, from rising sea levels and the like. Um, so there's just a, an awful lot of cash basically being devoted into climate change. Uh, the second aspect that has caught a lot of attention is the unusually broad definition of infrastructure, including line items such as uh, $30, $31 billion for small business incubation, $40 billion for public housing, uh, $12 billion for workforce development. So these are definitions that normally would not have been found in prior infrastructure proposals, um, but is found in the Biden plan. You know, so while some of these programs may have some real merit, the administration has certainly stretched the definition with the traditional definition of infrastructure quite a bit. Tom, thank you very much for that recap as a starting point. Very helpful. Certainly a lot of components, complexities involved with this proposal. And to your point, a proposal of this scope, this scale is bound to encounter an abundance of attention. We've been hearing a lot about this in media headlines. So what has the reception consisted of thus far amongst lawmakers, Tom, and what might realistically be achieved relative to what is being proposed as it currently stands today. Yeah, no, you're right, Dan. It's, it's caught a lot of headlines for sure. And a lot of our listeners probably uh, have seen those headlines. Uh, House and Senate Republicans have expressed opposition to the size and the scope of the plan, um, which wasn't terribly surprising. Uh, they're focusing on the items, including some of the ones that I just mentioned that go beyond your typical bricks and mortar projects. Uh, meanwhile, some members of the progressive wing of Biden's own Democratic Party uh, have suggested that the American Jobs Plan doesn't go far enough. Um, but, you know, 
as usual, the centrists in both houses of Congress will be the ones that dictate the result. And the size of the package that is likely to pass after Labor Day is likely to be a bit smaller, I think, than what Biden is proposing now. His own comments early last week, citing the inevitability of compromise, were a tacit admission, I think, that the size of the infrastructure bill is likely to be a bit smaller than what you see on paper today in terms of what was proposed. Tom, thank you for that. So maybe now we can pivot over and talk about some of the economic and market implications of the proposal. I know from prior conversations, inflation risk is a concern right now amongst investors top of mind. So what might be some projected impacts, Tom, of the proposal, again, as it currently stands today to the U.S. dollar? Yeah, sure. I'll, maybe I'll touch the dollar first then and then, and then pivot to uh, to inflation. Um Starting um, with the dollar, I, I think Biden's proposal would increase both the trade and budget deficits, which would be a headwind for dollar valuation. But at the same time, we expect a gradual secular rise in interest rates. Um, and, I, you know, I want to emphasize that we're not anticipating interest rates to, you know, um, explode higher, but they will on a secular basis between now and the end of the year uh, rise. And that should offer a counterbalance. Um, to what I just said about trade and budget deficits. So I, I think uh, my colleague Brian Rose uses the term ambiguous in terms of what the impact of this plan is going to be on the dollar. Um, you've got you've got cross currents moving both directions. I, I think it's more of the same. I, in terms of foreign exchange, investors are going to focus first and foremost on the Fed and its commentary on future tapering of quantitative easing. Uh, that's not new. They've been doing that. You know, investors have been focused on that now for candidly years. Uh, but that will remain a principal focus and will dictate to a large degree where the value of the dollar goes. And also on the rate of economic growth in other developed markets, that is the competition uh, for the U.S. from the U.S. Um, the infrastructure plan is going to play second fiddle to those two concerns. So while, you know, you look at the infrastructure plan and you say, OK, if it's going to go ahead and increase the budget deficit, that's going to that's going to be the headwind for the dollar. On the other hand, if a gradual rise in interest rates is going to happen, then that's actually good for the dollar. Again, cross currents, they compete with each other. What do, what do investors do? They go back to what they always go back to, which is, is the Fed going to taper? When they're going to taper? Uh, and what's going on in the rest of the world? Maybe we can stick with some broader economic impacts for a moment. Are there certain components of the economy, Tom, that stand to benefit the most from the proposal as it currently stands today? Yeah, I mean... I. I'll, I'll touch on that inflation issue, I guess, really briefly, and then and then pivot to some of the uh, the sectors. Um, you know, higher interest rates seem to be uh, in the offing. It'll be a gradual rise. Um, and one of the things I want to emphasize is that uh, the year-over-year comparisons on inflation are going to be a bit misleading because last year at this time, uh, the economy was in a deflationary spiral uh, as the economy in March and April of 2020 ground to a halt. Investors are going to have to discount some of those CPI numbers that we're going to see over the course of the next 60 days. You've still got persistent slack in the labor force, a mismatch in the skills uh, that are needed versus those that are being offered by the current labor force. And you've got technology displacement. And all those factors tend to restrain the rise of inflation over the longer time period. So, again, you'll see inflation pop a little bit here in the next 60 days, but it's probably not going to hold. Uh, and you've got these longer-term secular uh, disinflationary uh, obstacles that they have to overcome. In terms of the broader economic impacts, uh, if you look at higher interest rates, um, again, gradual rise, uh, it should benefit banks and financials. Uh, 
Also, industrials and materials have actually performed quite well on expectations of an improving economy and that incremental investment in infrastructure. Uh, but there are still some opportunities in those sectors. Um, we've talked about semiconductors in the past uh, and the reshoring of, of high-tech manufacturing. This is an underlying theme uh, in the Biden plan is the notion that the Internal Revenue Code should be used as a means of basically encouraging corporations to bring manufacturing back to the United States. Um, and a shortage of semis, you know, in certain industries like autos um, have been one of the obstacles uh, for that industry to meet customer demand. And the last thing I mentioned is green tech. Uh, this is, I guess, Earth Week. Uh, and it's worth basically, you know, uh, reminding everyone that uh, we've got a real focus right now in the administration on renewable power, energy efficiency, electric vehicles. Uh, and even though we do expect the size of this package to get cut back a bit, this climate integration into an infrastructure plan looks to basically stick. And that'll basically be beneficial for those particular sectors. Well, thank you, Tom, for highlighting for us some of those economic impacts. And as has been mentioned a few times this morning, this proposal is quite costly, though, to your point just a few moments ago, it might be scaled back a bit eventually, though the question becomes, well, how do we pay for this? So in order to fund the proposal, I know the Biden administration has spoken about tax hikes to both corporations as well as individuals, individuals over a certain income threshold. So, Tom, I'm curious, could tax hikes, namely to those for corporations at all, compromise the integrity or momentum of the current bull market we're experiencing? Right. Yeah. There's, there's, again, we have two parts to this program. and We've seen the details on the first part. That's the jobs plan. Uh, President Biden has basically uh, given us a forecast that the American Families Plan, as he's uh, defined it, uh, will be coming out uh, probably in the next couple of weeks. The U.S. is leading the world out of recession, as it so often does. Uh, the trend here in the U.S. is positive. Um, we don't believe that the taxes envisioned in our base case are going to be enough to disrupt the bull market equities. And that's really the question that we get probably most often. Now, we haven't seen, again, the proposed changes to the personal income tax code. Um, but our base case assumes that a return to the maximum marginal tax rate of 39.6 is pretty much a done deal. Um a higher capital gains tax is likely, but probably not as high as what was promoted by the Biden campaign platform. Perhaps it's something like 28 percent, although, again, the, the details are kind of fluid at this point. Uh, our colleague David Lefkowitz has pointed out that there isn't any real correlation um, between the rate at which capital gains are taxed and equity market returns. Um, and he's got an excellent uh, chart on that, actually, in uh, our most recent POTUS 46 report. Uh, and that's probably because U.S. US investors actually subject to taxation are only owning about a quarter of the equity market. You mentioned the corporate tax hike. That is basically defined in some detail in the jobs plan. Uh, the corporate tax hike envisioned by the president uh, would, would result in a hit to earnings. But again, looking at our base case of a 25% statutory corporate rate and not 28 percent so we're basically assuming that it's going to get back cut back to his proposal from 28 to 25 it would increase it from 21 percent where it is now but it would still allow earnings growth at approximately 12 percent next year so it's does it does it present a bit of a headwind on the corporate side yeah a little bit um but it's not going to necessarily uh slow down either equity market returns in our view uh or um 
the ability for corporations to generate earnings growth next year. I know we're beginning to come to the end of our time together this morning, and thank you for covering all of the ground that you have thus far with our listeners, our clients. Maybe one final point we can hit on this morning, that being portfolio positioning. So, Tom, in terms of guidance there, how should investors consider allocating their portfolios in anticipation of this proposal materializing into legislation or some form of it, coupled with the U.S. economy that is on the mend. Yeah, it, it's tempting, I know, for many investors to spend a lot of time looking at uh, events that are going on inside the Washington Beltway and trying to basically pivot in terms of what they're investing in directly as a consequence of what they're hearing on the floor of the Senate or the floor of the House. Um, I'd, I'd caution uh, against basically moving too abruptly. For investors with longer time horizons, it usually makes more sense to defer recognition of capital gains uh, than to overreact to developments in D.C. Um, the key variable, I think, is, as an investor, your own time horizon. But the longer your time horizon is, the more likely it is that appreciation in the value of your equity portfolio is going to more than offset the higher tax liability down the road. So, you know, distilling it down to basics, while we spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, what a specific individual senator is going to do or what a specific part of one caucus in the House or the Senate are going to do, it's probably good to take a step back. Don't get too worked up about it at this point. This process is likely to go on for the next five to six months. Focus on, you know, conventional, uh, thoughtful portfolio management. And again, without overreacting or moving abruptly, just think about what your own time horizon is uh, and 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 understand that that value appreciation that you could get in your equity portfolio is is really probably going to outweigh the impact of higher taxes as long as your uh, time horizon is long enough. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate that guidance. I will point out as well, of course, we cannot discuss single securities here on the top of the morning podcast. However, there is a stock list associated with the POTUS 46 publication that Tom mentioned a few moments ago. Highly encourage our clients listening in to have a follow-up conversation with their financial advisor about that stock list if they are interested in learning more in terms of allocation ideas. Though, Tom, uh, certainly a lot of complexities, wide-ranging implications associated with the proposal. Uh, We will, of course, track its progression very closely, though thank you again for outlining the key components as they stand today, along with the investment implications that our clients and listeners should be aware of. So thank you again for your time and insight this morning, Tom. Appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity, Dan. Thanks again. Thank you, Tom. And again, today we have been joined by Tom McLaughlin, Head of Fixed Income for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. As a reminder to our clients and listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO. That includes the publication which Tom has been making reference to during our conversation today, that being the latest edition of the POTUS 46 publication series, a title is Rethinking Infrastructure, 
investment implications of the American Jobs Plan. So for clients of UBS, you can contact your financial advisor if you would like to learn more about the publication or receive a copy of the publication directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. Neither UBS Financial Services, Inc. nor any of its employees provide tax or legal advice. You should consult with your personal tax or legal advisor regarding your personal circumstances. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.